Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Sam Dong, the CEO of Ming Foods. Sam and I first met when I ran some workshops for food businesses around 20 years ago for the Greater London Authority. Then he became a member of our Fresh Banter Full Works group in 2015 and formed a close bond with the rest of his group in the programme. Sam is very considered and reflective and I love having a conversation with him because he will often challenge the way I'm thinking. Hear him talk about his mindset, his go big or go home attitude, how he's been able to step back and work on, not in his business, about diversification and about considering his IP, how grateful he is that he purposefully set out to find his soulmate about his parents, his family background as Vietnamese refugees and how that shapes who he is, what he's been reading recently, including two great book recommendations. Can you describe your job now, how you describe it to other people? Do you know what, Jane? I I used to think about that in terms of what I do, running a food business, manufacturing Chinese pancakes, this, that and the other. But then these days, I tend to think more of around what I am, just being comfortable in your own skin at this present moment in time, being very mindful around that. So the doing part is very transitory. You do something and you move on to the next. So it really is being around I am, I'm myself, I'm mindful, I am kind, I'm brave, I'm a bit zany sometimes. That has huge impact as you're impacting everything and everyone. Oh, absolutely. This becomes the, the cultural fabric which joins everything in a business and holds it together. And it's a, it's, it's a very powerful place to be. Uh, and, and as you say, it affects every single thing that you do. And in good times and in bad, then once you realise the purpose around it and the effect it actually has, and just take the time and the space to be, and then you can actually make the choice to have maximum impact. So that's that, That's how I would uh, answer your, your question around. That's really phenomenal. And it's a place a lot of other people would like to go to. Thinking as you are and observing, you're working on your business far more than in it. What do other people think you do? To be honest, I don't know. Um, what would your son say you do? Well, for my my son, then it's one of those where it depends which part of the personality uh, you ask in somebody. So pertaining to my son, whether it's you're asking him 
when I'm his father or when he doesn't see me and I go off and do something. So in a very young mind, then you, you get a very straight answer. If his teacher asked, what does your dad do? What would he reply? Stuff. He would say, does, dad does stuff. Right. Only in part because I do know uh, my own son and he's he, just encouraging awareness around things. Um, however, I, I would like to think that if people can see me doing very little or seeming to be doing very little, but the effects certainly in my business are prevalent and has a, a large measurable impact. Um, sometimes even without perception, then that's, that's what I would like people to think. How did you find yourself in the food industry? When did you make a conscious decision to be in the food industry? What was it you studied? I studied physics with education. Once upon a time, I, d I did want to teach. However, I, d I do find myself passing knowledge on. Um, teaching, but not in a classroom. Yeah. And you, you, you share, share discoveries. You share the joy and the passion on things that you find out and things that you synthesize together. And I, I, I find great pleasure in that, great satisfaction it's it's certainly a, a conduit for my own energies to, to come out in a very enthusiastic way. I didn't set out to be in the food industry. It just it just happened. How did it happen? How did it happen? Um, my, my my father said to me once upon a time, "Why do you want it to be a teacher for? Um, go into business." So I did. How did you happen to find yourself in a food company then? Uh, my, through through my father, he said, well, go, go work with the uncle. He wants to uh, import shrimps. You can read, write and add a few numbers together. You can handle the paperwork. It was a new thing. Didn't know much about it. So off I went. And that was the starting point. It was the starting point. And it happened to be uh, related to food. But, you know, there's there are strands within there. Once you start dissecting it, it applies to lots of other types of businesses and it ha it happened to be an import export business that happens to deal in food but the the stuff within there could apply to lots of other different kind of things looking back on that then they do say uh, um for fortune favors the brave or the foolish and uh <laughs> well one just dives in and, and goes off and uh, and so we hope you were seen as brave and you just carried on yes Yes. I've had very similar jokes about this with some of the guys I worked with in Tunisia. Many of them studied or began working overseas and then returned to Tunisia to work in a family food business. They say that friends who are still overseas pour scorn on them for being daft enough to return to maybe let an elder family member step down from the business. One said one day a friend had just sent him a photo of the donkey. His assessment of his friend who had gone back into a family food business. So in other words, he wasn't thinking it was his best decision. From outside the industry, many don't understand why people pick food industry to work in. It's not an industry with huge margins. You need huge volumes to give you a good return. And that brings its own pressures. As you say, often people come foolishly into the food industry 
or maybe naively. Often when people tell me they would like their own food business, they've never even had a weekend job in one. No, no idea. What I do find interesting these days, talking to people who want to do something within food, then the ones that uh, are put off, that's great. But the ones that aren't put off, hmm, they may get for you do some mentoring with the British Library. And I think these things are really important that we nurture and attract people and get good talent. All too often, people are told the food industry should be their last choice if they can't do anything else. So many transferable skills. And we want to get good IT, accounting and logistics people and other skilled people into the industry. And, and understanding the, the different overlaps between different skill sets and where the, the intellectual property actually is and the applications of that is, is very powerful. It allows you a chance to, to cut your teeth in that. And once, once you can actually stand back a little bit from it and actually see, ah, well, actually, these are the, the centers of value where it's being created. And if you get them to overlap and with overlap with another one, then the, the value gets multiplied exponentially. And, and that's the key to achieving long-term success. And so within food, then it's very beneficial because as humans, we need to eat to uh, grow, survive. And so it's a good long-term business. And the, but to create that value, you have to understand, well, actually, what's the asset there which generates that value? And it's great to have, have the, the daily sales, the weekly sales as cash flow. That drives things. But if you can actually just keep polishing the bit that generates the value, then you can actually raise that to a whole nother level. Yes. If we talk about Ming Foods and your products, if I'm describing you to people, I say Sam makes Chinese pancakes that end up in just about every product you can imagine. In retail, in food service, both in restaurants and in takeaways, you're often likely to be eating something that Sam has made. Well, on on a back of the envelope calculation once upon a time, in the time I've been in the pancake business, then I've, I, I have... Uh, made and sold over a billion pancakes you know and you have to have the the things uh, in place to do it consistently the quality is there or the food safety side of it is there but to achieve that consistency that volume over a period of time and have it as have it as a repeat business then yeah, and the volume speaks to itself but What's very interesting about that is even though from a monetary value point of view, it's not a massive amount, but from a quantity point of view, then it's a huge amount. Not many businesses would have made that sort of volume of any product. No. Once once you actually realise that, then you start applying your thinking to, well, actually, if it's a billion pancakes at a few pence each then if you had another thing slightly more say let's say at 10 yes. or another thing add value to that let's say half pound a pound then suddenly as a business a- across the um the business landscape then it becomes even more interesting but the key there is the mindset behind it is that you can make an impact and a, not just uh, a domestic impact with, let's say within the uk it's actually a worldwide impact 
And so that that shifts your thinking and and it brings other benefits around learning from other markets, uh, looking at what they do overseas, bringing that back in and vice versa as well. And just different ways of, of, of looking at things. If I am correct, your machinery is sort of hybrid, something you created or repurposed yourself. I remember coming to your original production site and seeing the machinery. And then when you moved to the new site and had more space, you were able to add more on to it, make it into more of a production line. But I know that you had taken equipment and adapted it to do what you needed. There wasn't an off-the-shelf solution. We had we had a problem that we need to solve. So how, how do you actually make loads and loads of pancakes consistently with quality uh, under control? And the the kit didn't exist in an off-the-shelf form. And to give your listeners a, a, a better grasp of it, then each week we'll, we'll make about 3 million pancakes, 3 million individual Goodness. pancakes. And once you start breaking that down, then it's, it's a tremendous volume. And if you were to make it by hand or just in a semi-ordered way, then you'd have to have larger workforce and so on and so forth. So we, we worked on the technology to achieve that. You would need a lot more space or a much bigger workforce. Well, we, it was a case of either go big or go home. That was the adage. <laughs> well, we, we just dived in. However, the, the risks that, that you take in actually doing that, if it, if it all blew up in your face... But then knowing who I am, then even if it blew up, then we would have found another one. You would learn something from it, but two, you could adapt it to do something else or apply it in a different way. You just pivot and just change the the offer to a different market, say, or a different uh, a, a solution to a different problem. And with this kind of on the one level, it would have been painful, but on another level, it becomes uh, another opportunity to solve a slightly different problem. And then also, as you did it early on, it's less of a risk than if you had taken a bigger, more successful firm and stood it on its head to sort this. As as I've come to learn then energy to shift the inertia in business. People get used to doing things in certain ways. Um, systems begin become embedded. And in, any time you need to make a change, then it becomes harder to make that change. So you're very right. Starting big at the early stage has its benefits. In the last 20 months, how has it changed how you operate? Have you had to pivot? In, in terms of the core business, then we've actually had a good pandemic uh, in that business has managed to grow. And it is it is great. Um, Especially it, when you look at some of the customers you have, restaurant businesses yes. and such. Uh, somebody s- said to me not so long ago, Part of business is all about managing risk, and within uh, my business, then the even though our core product is that one product, the risk is actually nicely spread because you cover different markets. So whether on the one hand you you supply into the food service industry, but once you break that down in the context of the, the pandemic, if, if sit down restaurants uh, close up, the takeaways were, were more busy. So we saw that effect. We also supply across into retail indirectly via third parties. And again, during lockdown, retail went up. People were buying more stuff uh, Yeah, to eat at home there. 
And then we also export as well. And despite things like Brexit and so on and so forth, then we still manage to grow the export business. Not without any, not without uh, some headaches, I have to add. No. But, um, but, but the, the spread of business risk is actually um, nicely spread out. So even if one went down, another part actually goes up. It's good as several businesses we know have had their risk spread, but all the areas, things like airlines, restaurants, visitor attractions, have all taken a hit and they've struggled. One of the hidden benefits of having gone big was we, we actually have uh, enough space to spread ourselves out. So in, in the context of COVID, then um, the the risks were modified because we have a, a relatively large factory with a not a massive workforce. Everybody could spread out. There was good ventilation. So that meant that the, you know, it allow, allowed us to manage that risk um, with the operational workforce. And the, the other thing around COVID was from a personal point of view, uh, for, for health reasons, I, I had to work uh, remotely away from operations. And so that actually allowed me more thinking time. And it, it did allow me to be more effective as a leader in my business and actually work on it more. And I, I didn't step foot uh, physically in the business for a whole year. In terms of staffing numbers, did it affect how you ran and who came in, etc.? Yes, um, and and I, I, I don't know if you if I told you the story, um, Jane. Is even before the pandemic hit, the the, the business was trying to expand to, to actually scale up. We had a few misadventures, and um, one of the the symptoms of of those misadventures was one we we had more people in, but two we had to run the factory on a diesel generator, and Ooh. it was actually my the one of my uh, more uh, tougher challenges, and so we we had to run the, the factory on a diesel generator for fifteen months. That was that was pretty tough, and from a from a cash flow point of view, it, it meant. Every three days, you had to have about a couple of grand in your pocket to actually pay for diesel to keep things going, right? And so for 15 months, I had to be on it, made sure I've got to have that from somewhere to keep that going. And then the pandemic hits, and everything gets shut down. Hmm, what am I going to do now? But we still managed it. Excellent, and, and you're now back on electricity. We 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 are we are, but it, but the as an example of resilience, then that I have to say was uh, it's it's a tremendous example, and never giving up, and just having the grit to to carry on. You um, will always look at things differently. You're not afraid of change, and never have been. Yes, and we're we're used to dealing with change and dealing with challenges. And it really is the attitude you, you, you face it with. And take on the advice, um, look at different angles on that. But at the end of the day, then you, you still need to be brave and uh, step into it rather than running away like... Uh, I know too you have made products for other people, applied what you know to other products, meal kits and components... How does that work for you? The initial part of that is 
feeling the the vibe with whoever you're collaborating with and if you have a good vibe at the start then it means that any challenges you come up against then it's much easier to to manage yeah whereas if it's not a very good vibe then uh, anything any bumps along the way it means it, it, one it hurts more two it's it's not as fun to to navigate and so the chances of it succeeding are actually much less and in part it's is because your own enthusiasms your own energies are diverted uh, down a different path the but the whole strategic idea uh, with that is knowing that one of the risks within my core market single product if the bottom falls out of that market then you're snookered so then what else can you actually do and so it's all about bringing a different front to your product offering extending product lines so that it balances the risk out somewhat but leveraging some of the advantages that you have whether it's space equipment people ideas and even if it doesn't work then you know that the the development that you put into that um will be of service further down the line and within the food industry and I've been around long enough now to know that it will come back around again it's a bit like fashion stuff will come back around and then you'll be able to use that again another time I think to right at the beginning of this part of our conversation you made reference to following your gut instinct your intuition it's not something everyone is comfortable doing it doesn't have a hard value a clear ROI so it's often overlooked yes the important part is where is the agency the agency is in yourself the agency is in somebody else and so once you actually realize that then stuff flows from that business flows from that and it's not the other way around i think that i think about some of the conversations i've had for Sir Eric Peacock who you and i both know i met him at a west london business dinner we spoke and realized we were both Glaswegians who so struck up a conversation about football favorite foods etc and then much later he asked what do you do then he suggested we meet for a coffee and we would see who in his network may be of use to you. I told him I went to a lot of networking events but wasn't meeting senior decision makers in the food industry consistently. I do think it's good to network in your own industry sometimes with people who understand the context of issues you face. So he suggested running my own group. We spoke about it and Eric and I initially collaborated on fresh banter as he'd been running masterminds in other industries. And then again, a few years ago, I was looking at what I personally want to do in the next five or so years. And if I want a mentor or to be part of a group or both and looking at what was available, I decided to restart my lunches and mastermind group again, as there's nothing else out there that tops it for the quality, the ROI and the results. And when I look at others, I think we were doing that five years ago. But the, the, the stuff that we did through Fresh Banter, that was some cutting edge stuff within there. Really, really impactful. And the effects are still being felt years on. My phone did that thing the other day where it says on this day so many years ago and it produced an image of Darren Foley with his Lego model from the Lego series play day we had. 
I forwarded it to him. It was from six years ago and he said, I can still remember how excited I was that day by what we learned. Absolutely. That's worth its weight in gold, isn't it? There were so many other good things that we covered in Full Works, like the Gallup Strengths Finder book, the test you complete, and then we all look at what that tells us about ourselves and help each other to see what that means. We've picked up a new book onto the market this time for the kickoff session in 2022. I think it's important you start with yourself and understand yourself and your strengths, and then you'll be able to help others do that too. Be aware of your own stronger and weaker areas. All of that idea for my first masterminds came from a conversation with Sir Eric Peacock. And again, I met Deborah Meaden from Dragon's Den for the first time at a lunch. Her dog escaped from her property while we were having lunch and she got some kind of alert on her phone. We started talking about dogs and then about the rescue animals she had. And it was only as we stood up to leave that she asked what I did. She then said she thought she was about to sign off on a contract to work with a food business. And if she did, would I talk it through and see if I could help? So again, we got to know each other a bit before there was any discussion about work. But that led to a few great years of me working with her on a few food and drink investments and learning so much. So knowing people first is fundamental. And if you ignore that, you miss out on a lot. Yes, it is. And it, and it, it adjusts the flow of things. So at a higher level, you, your peers as people, as humans first, and then below that, then what you do and uh, so on and so forth. So then it, it flows downhill there and then it's and it's just like water it's water from a spring and it just flows much much harder bringing water up a hill i often say if something is difficult that it's like pushing custard up a hill who are your role models in food out of food things i always tell people here are if it's a positive role model, you can name them. If you learned how you never wanted to behave or treat people, then talk about what you learned, but not the person that you learned it from. <laughs> well, my my role models there, I suppose, uh, at a young age, then definitely through my parents and my my own background is that I'm, I'm a refugee from Vietnam with uh, Chinese ancestry. So... We, we, you know, we, we were running away from tigers and escaping conflict and uh, all those kind of things. Jane, it wasn't till this year when I really looked into the history of that period in time. And, and it's, yeah, four, 47 years later, then I start actually having a, a much more uh, deeper understanding of what went on there and the impact it had on people um, and the echoes that is, that's actually happening now. Um, I know. That I'm sure is very difficult, knowing that it's happening to other people again now, other people going through that, having come through all sorts of conflict again. Yep. Um, but in, in terms of um, my own parents there, then looking back on the history on that and what they actually had to do, to make the escape from the country and and not only just for the immediate family but they were able to literally navigate on a boat with a few hundred others and you're going across on the high seas in a boat designed for 50 and there's 300 on there 
And at any one moment, um, you could sink and that's, you know, 300 lost souls. And my, my father played a fundamental role in actually navigating through that. And he still tells a story when he meets some of his contemporaries, they remember that particular journey. So to actually leave things behind and escape conflict and go through those very fundamental life and death um, challenges, then I was too young to consciously remember that. But I suppose in a, in a way it, it, it has left its mark. Um, I also think it's no surprise that you're such a resilient person, somebody who can turn things around. Clearly that was in your parents' makeup too, I'm sure now with your son, you can imagine the responsibility of deciding to make that sort of journey with him, the risks and the feelings they must have had of having utterly no choice but but to do that. It does annoy me when people hear question if we want to accept refugees, as it seems to me, these people are exactly the person we need, the people we need. They've just done the most incredible thing, the hardest job interview ever. And I feel they are clearly worth 10 of each of us for having made that journey. Well, within that context, uh, I would imagine slightly un- unfair. However, there there is value in humanity. And you just put them in the right context and the value gets released. And that's... It's about being in an enabling environment, whatever it is that makes you different. If you're in the right environment, you can shine. And, and the bit that really helps with that is the awareness that it's actually happening. If you don't have the awareness, then you rely on luck, fortune, just happenstance. However, if you have an awareness around it, then actually you can actually make a conscious and unconscious choice to change that Um, a lot of people after the last 20 months struggling and needing help to adapt and change and so if we can all see that and help it would really make a big difference i'm I'm a great believer in that uh, nature doesn't like an empty space it will always fill it with something and it'll be the same with people yep yep too much of what is never enough I thought about this particular question and for me, I'm working on the philosophy of just enough that you do and you be everything that's just enough, then it's not too much, it's not too little. And I'm aware of certain mindsets around abundance, mindsets around scarcity. There is a sweet spot in between that's just enough so that we're, we're not wasteful but yet we're not underselling ourselves and so if you, if you apply that mindset to whatever it is that you do then it's just right to you you are you are perfect in this particular moment in time so that you're not lacking and you so to turn that question around just enough. And whether it is material goods, whether it's um, emotional side of things, whether it's social justice, or whether it's planet-wide, universe-wide, it's just enough. That is such a good way to think of it. And you're not wasting resources. 
What have you done that when you look back you can't believe you did it, where you really stepped out of your comfort zone? Again, with the mindset I have, then it was right for that particular moment. And so there hasn't been anything that I've experienced that was wrong or out of place. And Is there anything you're really proud of then that you've done rather than surprised? The best thing, I'd say, that I've done was when I stepped into my braveness and actually went to seek out the love of my life. And that, that you know, has to be the... The, the best thing ever and for for a young man who was very unsure of himself then and um, uh, back then and uh, crossing oceans and all the rest of it to to find his 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 true love um, then it, it is significant and if there if there is a a hole in you or a gap in you that you feel uh, a longing for, a yearning for, and it's not filled, then stuff will happen around it. That's a great example because it has massively impacted you and everything you've done. What is the best thing that you have eaten or drunk recently? Do you know what the it was? It was actually a um, a decaffeinated flat white coffee that I had um, only yesterday. Funny enough, and it was a really really nice one. It was at the right temperature. It had a good texture, great aroma. But also, what was really nice to see was the um, the coffee grinding machine was actually a separate one that was fully dedicated for uh, deca- decaffeinated coffee beans, and. Thirdly, the the label on it showed that they were beans from India. Uh, and I've not had coffee beans from India before, not consciously anyway. So that was that was fascinating to. Yeah, so it was, it was at a cafe uh, underneath the railway arches in, in Hearn Hill. Uh, and it just happened to be a wow moment. Yeah, a very, very good coffee. What would you tell someone who was going to start their own business that they should do or think about first? Jane, I, I, I wouldn't tell them anything per se. I would show them the benefits of actually having somebody uh, who has gone before to lend a hand, whether it's showing the ropes, uh, being a mentor, providing some coaching for them, things around that then show show them the benefits of that and the the power and effect it has uh, and increasing the, ch- the chances of business success there um, that is what I would show them brilliant good what sort of books do you read I, I, I do read I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a butterfly in that I, I, I flitter between um, different books uh, I do have um, multiple books on the go, um, and it's it, what I do find is there's a right time for certain books. So, in in terms of books, I've I've got two that has had 
um, a meaningful impact uh, for me. Uh, one is a book called the The Heart Aroused, and it's it's around the the poetry and the preservation uh, of the soul in corporate America. So uh, in, initially, I thought the heart aroused. What is this? Um, this this is not a business book, and but it is. It, it's it is by a chap called David White, and. I'd not come across him before, and it was a recommendation uh, to me by uh, somebody who works within the field of education. They said, well, if, if they only had one book to take with them, then this would be it. I thought, really? Um, so I went to the trouble of looking it up. I started dipping into it, and wow, it, it really is uh, an amazing, amazing book. And in part because it, it deals with the stuff that is very difficult to measure, and and so and then the second one, uh, which is not quite business related, uh, but it was a gift when I went camping this summer, um, was a or is a book called "The Narrow Road to the Deep North" and uh, other travel sketches. And it's a, a, a chap called Matsuo Basho, which is his uh, his pen name. Which is which Basho is uh, is the the name of a certain type of uh, banana tree. Um, and I'll share with you uh, one of the uh, the verses in there. And perhaps for some of your your listeners, then they may be familiar with it. And I. I but for me, it was new to me, and I, I, I found great joy and enjoyment in actually coming across this. And it, it comes in, in the form of a haiku. Breaking the silence of an ancient pond, a frog jumped into water, a deep resonance. What a lovely, thoughtful gift to have been given. Yes. Um, and, it, and again, it was one of those things where one of the gifts that I have is the gift of touch. And through this camping episode, then I uh, offered masseur skills to one of the, the campers who was very much uh, feeling it. And I just spent an hour uh, massaging their, their shoulders and neck and head and just talking through business, business ideas, the awareness around it, and essentially just being in a, in a very giving space and being very kind and just, just passing my energy on. And I think the, the person felt very much better for that. Um, and at, at, the, at the end of the camping trip, then this particular book was actually passed on to me and I'd never come across it before. And it had a wonderful message in there. Um, Lovely to have a book like that that you can just dip into. Yes, it is. And the message for me there is, is really having being in the state of presence and being right here right now is where you're meant to be if i can ask you one last thing if you could take three foods or pieces of food equipment with you to a desert island what would you pack uh, the the i'm i i still have a very practical streak to me and my 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 first reaction was a sturdy knife uh, a wok 
just to show my my cultural heritage there. Um, but a a good sense of humour because you may you may be there for a, a, a good while. So that's very much needed. I love that. These are really great practical things, and then the good sense of humour would definitely help. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. I have really enjoyed my time with you, Sam. This will be going out around the time of Chinese New Year. And I know because your products go far and wide, you will have been busy well in advance satisfying the demand for those. So we will think of you that week. And I appreciate you giving us an hour of your time just now. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode. Thank you.